When it comes to our spiritual warfare, we have been given two pieces of offensive gear. We'll take a look at one of them next on Truth For Today. The Sword of the Spirit. Now that is one of the offensive pieces of gear we've been given for the spiritual battle that we face. Out of Ephesians chapter 6, right? Most of us know this. But there is another piece of offensive weaponry, if you will. Really, it's our communication line with God. It's called prayer. We're going to talk about the piece de resistance to our spiritual armor found here in Ephesians 6. When it comes to spiritual warfare, prayer is a must, or your game's a bust. With today's edition of Truth For Today and a look at prayer, here's Pastor Phil Howard. We have inherited 3,000 years of tribal warfare. We can't resolve it any more than we could in Croatia. We can't do it. You can win a battle, but it doesn't mean you can govern. People have got to be willing to be governed. In this world, you shall have tribulation, not, not peace, Jesus said. You'll have tribulation in the world. The world is full of it. So what will be the basis of your peace? Soldier, if you lose your courage, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, one but study history to realize the loss of courage has always signaled the end. I got to have peace. And my peace is needed on two levels. I need peace with God. And the only way I got that was by putting trust in the gospel. I believe the good news of the gospel. And with the gospel came a peace. It healed the breach between God and I. And I need peace in the midst of the conflict. And one of the privileges of the gospel is I can now call God my father and share any anxiety I have. And he promises he'll guard my mind. He'll send a sentinel, a guard on the wall of my mind. He will commission him. You guard his heart. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, my brother, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is holy, whatever has virtue, whatever is righteous, think on these things and the peace of God you saw in me, you too will experience. When we come to the sword of the spirit, I'm going to use some of the sword, but I'll address it in this matter of peace and anxiety. When I'm anxious about my ministry, sometimes I think my preaching's in vain and think there's not any impact happening. Sometimes the yield for the amount of preparation is minimal, and I'm convinced I'm a windbag preaching myself out of a paper sack. When I'm in that downcast state, I pick up the sword of the Spirit that says, So my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And I say, 
I can trust this sword, a saying from God, helps reinstate my heart to a state of peace and not anxiety. When I'm anxious about my opponents, whether human or satanic, whether my own heart that is full of unbelief, but my own heart can invent a thousand enemies that don't exist. And I'm dying for the courage to stand. I hear a word that says, if I'm for you, who can be against you? If omnipotence is on your side, why are you inventing and empowering weaker forces to succeed against you? When I'm anxious about being too weak to do the work of God, I battle unbelief of the promise, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Your weakness won't keep God from delivering you. Don't let your weakness talk you into defeat. Let it talk you into trusting him. When I'm anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, and I don't know the next step, and I'm looking for wisdom. I hear him say, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye. When I'm anxious about dying, and as the years begin to roll over us, how will I die? When will my ministry end? How long am I destined for this? I hear him say, not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. I can say for me to live is Christ, and to die, I will still be a winner. Death, don't scare me. You will be routed in my death for you have been stripped of your fangs by my captain in chief. He stripped you at the tomb 2,000 years ago so that the children of God no longer need to be terrorized by the thought of death. Hebrews chapter 2. When I am concerned about getting old, arthritis, feebleness, afflictions, eyesight going, an inability to make it with the saints. I comfort my heart with these words, even to your old age, I shall be the same, and even to your graying years, I shall bear you. I have done it, and I shall carry you, and I shall bear you, and I shall deliver you. As I carried you in youth, I will carry you into old age. In the evil day, I run to God's treasure chest of ammunition and these little verses I carry on cards. I take on my anxiety with what the gospel of peace brought, a word from my captain. You'll need a word in an evil day. He says that uh, we have a shield of faith that we're to take. They had two shields they used. They had a small shield that you could just wield around real quick like this. But the Roman shield was four feet high, two and a half feet wide, usually made of wood covered in leather. 
Sometimes it'd be metal, but it'd get so heavy. But these, these, these uh, shields were interesting. The one, the Greek word he uses here is this four foot high shield and they had uh, latches where that if you had five Roman soldiers, well, a, a whole uh, regiment of soldiers, it doesn't matter. If they were carrying these kinds of shields, when they went into conflict, they locked them all together. And uh, men were shorter then than they are now. And even if they weren't, they learned you got down. And when all the arrows were coming, when all the stones were being hurled, they literally had a shield that would protect them. Now the opponent knew they're made of wood, so they learned to invent arrows that were dipped into pitch. They would ignite them, and they'd hit that shield. And of course, the idea was to burn up the shield. So what they did before they went into conflict, they often soaked the shield in water so that the leather was all wet. And so this shield that the believer wears is obviously a shield that he says, it will extinguish the fiery darts that come at us. So it succeeds against anything that's shot at us. And what is this shield? It's the shield of faith. And in this context, faith here is not the faith, the body of truth. It is a subjective attitude of trust and reliance on God. I'm walking by faith or I'm walking by sight. And when I'm walking by faith, the object of my faith is always God, biblically. Now, on a human level, you can say, I've got my faith in the bank. I've got my faith in my mate. I've got my faith in something. But in the Christian life, faith is directed towards God. And he's saying, in the evil day, you want to be sure that you're looking to headquarters for direction. You're not trusting your ability. You're not even, uh, you work with people and there is a certain level of trust. But there must be a trust that goes towards God that is unreserved, undiluted. It is abandonment into his arms. Can you trust him yet? Some of you are holding back. And in the evil day, you're going to be knocked over and you're going to be laying flat on your back because your unbelief will be exposed. There's nothing as human beings do as adults that's harder than faith. We start out as children and faith is rather simple. But once you've had enough disappointments in life, the natural adult stance is to trust no one. I will trust no one. I've been hurt too many times, disappointed too many times. Only a fool will trust. And we bring this over to the Christian life. My earthly father was abusive, so you must be. Earthly friends have forsaken me, maybe you will. I haven't seen you, touched you, handled you. How do I know you're there? How do I know you can do it? And all those doubts and self introspections just start devouring you. You've got to come through. Faith comes by hearing the word and the word saves us and then you plunge into the arms of God and now can you trust him? Can you trust him? I'm amazed uh, at what Brother Job could trust God for. It's an amazing story. I hate the first two chapters. 
I hated that he had to bury 10 kids to teach me you can trust God. He didn't know what was being taught. I don't want God to come and strip my kids to teach you folks to live by faith. Hear me well. God, hear me. Don't take my kids. Let them learn it some other way. I don't want my kids to teach you anything. Let me just keep them. But God literally in the contest with Satan, Satan insinuated nobody has found enough value in God's person to serve him without his gifts. And if he ever cuts off the gifts, no one will be true to the person. I was asking God the other day for something. I, I said, would you do this for me? Would you do that for me? And in the midst of it, I caught myself saying, oh Lord, I don't want the gift more than I want the giver. I want you first. You may not give the gift. I can do without the gift. I can't do without you. Do you love your wife just because she bakes the goodies, keeps the house clean, and satisfies your sexual desires? Or do you love her for who she is? Do you love the husband because he buys you everything you want and meets all the expectations? Or do you love him for who he is? In the day of loss, in the day of burial, in the day of great financial and personal loss, only one thing kept Job. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have a pastor. He didn't have Chuck Swindoll on the radio. He just had him and God. And he said, I'm going to trust you. You can slay me because by the time he gets through having the children buried on the way home from the cemetery, he's stricken with boils because the devil made one more bid for his life and says, oh, this is nothing. You touch his body and he'll deny you to, you, to your face. His kids he can get over. They were costing him a little bit too much for those parties anyway in chapter one. Touch his body and he'll deny you to your face. And when the boils hit him, and the wife says, bail out. In the midst of it all, he said, even if you slay me, I've come to discover your person enough that I can trust you. I hear three Hebrew boys that say, oh, king, I'm going to tell you this. We don't care if we don't get delivered from the fiery furnace or not. The God we serve deserves everything. Throw us in all you want. But the God we serve is able to turn the fire into soothing ointment. It's up to him, but we will not tempt him by saying, we won't serve you if you don't deliver us. We will serve you if you burn us to ashes. Throw us in, help yourself. And when the king looks into the furnace, he said, did we not cast in three? But I see a fourth man in there that looks like the son of God. If you stand in the evil day and trust him, you'll find the fourth man will visit you in the furnace. He can get you through. He's gotten millions through. He can get you through. You know, it is hard to trust. I, when I think of trust, I think of Carolyn and Rich. Uh, we, we went to a pastor's conference one year, and they're big cowards. And they talked me into being crazy. And they had the walk of faith. Now, that's not like a spiritual, pious walk. 
But this was a walk up in the pine trees, I don't know, 30, 40 feet up, and you walked on these cables, and they had a whole deal that you climb. Now, Rich and Lou and Carolyn are down below praying God to keep me and laughing. And I'm up there, and it, it looks good. I've always been a climber. That's why I broke my leg and all, this, all these childhood problems. But I went through it, and, man, I was ready to put on the green fatigues and, you know, get a badge. And, and then they just bring you out here to the end. They got some little scrawny girl down here that's got a rope. I'm wearing this harness thing. And she's just a little gal. I'd say she weighed at least 92 and a half pounds. And, and she's down there. She's got the rope wrapped around this post a little bit. And then I think there's a young man up here. And he said, uh, and you come to this end of this limb or whatever this is. Well, step off. Hey, boy, that's easy for you. We're talking about me stepping off. You mean just out in the middle of nowhere? Well, you got the harness and you got Twinkie down here. I, you know, and really at first, and I mean, I saw older men and different people just, just, you know, but they were so in debt, it was easy. They were just jumping out there. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I tell you, I just there, and, and they all were, and they were, they were getting tickled because, uh, mm -mm, not me. And it took, oh, uh, I'd say at least 30 seconds to get resolution to just say, here I am, boom, and when I go down, my wife falls apart, and I'm not going to tell you the rest. But I'm telling you, it was quite an experience, and I just think of faith. I could just fall into God's arms like I'm falling into a great big net flying on the trapeze, and he will always catch me. Are you living by faith or fear? What's governing your heart? He said, the shield, it will protect you from all these arrows of doubt. And God doesn't love you. Uh, God doesn't have a future for you. God's forgot about you singles. He's never going to give you a Christian boy. They've all died. And, and there's no Christian girls to marry. You got to get out here. You got to start going to the happy hour. That's where you pick up some women. Don't be trying to stay in church. You don't ever hear the devil talk that way. Or, oh, I'm bailing out of this marriage. It's been rough. We just can't get it together. Oh, I, I'm tired of church. Those people, I, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. I don't know if I can make it. I don't have the strength. You never did. You made it this far without any strength. Why don't you make it the rest of the way without any strength? It's his power given to those who believe him. The reward of faith is divine enablement. If you will trust, he'll give you all that you need. Then he goes on that we've got the helmet of salvation. I'm out of time, so what I'll do, let's see. I'll do the helmet and pick up the sword tonight, but I, you know, let me just say the helmet of salvation. Let me just, you want to have that? Be sure of that. I just want to say that the last one, the sword of the Spirit, happens to be the words of God that you, it's the sword the Spirit wields in the hands of the praying saint because prayer is tied right to this. The sentence never ends in the Greek. And while we're praying in the midst of the evil day 
and the Spirit is infusing his power that he uses in the hands of the praying, trusting believer, you take up the sword, a short sword, and you begin to wield it against the enemy because you resist him. We resist him. And the word for the word of God here, the word for word is a word harema, and it means the sayings of God. Logos is the big word. It would be like a whole book or a paragraph. It means volume. Christ is the logos of God, the full message of God. But here he's saying the spirit will reach into the heart of the Christian soldier as they're walking by faith, as they're believing this truth, and he'll begin to lift out of your soul verses that you begin to wield, like saying, Satan, listen to Michael. When he came and wanted the body of Moses, Michael didn't even have enough authority to take on the devil. And he says, the Lord rebuke thee, Satan. Luke, or rather Jude 9. Or the devil comes and says, turn these stones to bread. It is written, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is an example. He didn't throw the book of Deuteronomy at him. He reached in and just picked up Deuteronomy 8.3. Then he came back with Deuteronomy 6. Then he came back with Psalm 69. Do you have enough of God's ammunition in you that you can use it like a sword when the enemy is tempting you? Because a divine word in the face of Satan makes him flee. That's how you resist him. And I hear some people say, well, the blood of Jesus rebukes you, Satan. And I, and I understand what's being said. The cross work is the rebuke. Or we'll get into cliche rebukes. The rebuke you want is a word from God. A saying from God. The word of God says, I will not do that. Why don't you do, what you need in your life is another woman. That just makes everything better. You just come back and says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You tell the devil, he already knows it, but you say, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not be, commit covetousness. You shall not be greedy. You want to steal a little bit of money on your taxes. You want to steal a little bit of time from your, your employer. And you want to steal from the company. You shall not steal. Steal, you, you shall work, but not steal. And even if you kind of slaughter the quote, but you get the concept, the truth, you come back and say, you'd say it to the devil, you say it to your heart. The word of God shall guide my steps. He keeps me in the path of obedience. He never keeps me out of it. So you learn to wield the sword. And that's why I think memorizing scripture and Bible reading You've got to get the word of God in you because in the evil day is a terrible day to say, honey, could you go get that sword that I put away from World War II that's under that glass case and that's rusty? This sword, you've got to keep polished and oiled. And, and I see some of you in the evil day, you can't even get it out of the scabbard. What was that word? What, what was that? Hey, the devil just loves your ignorance of the word. You're mincemeat for him. You're his favorite target. But he doesn't really waste a lot of time with you because you're already routed. You stay defeated all the time anyway because you don't believe the words of God. You haven't met any Christians like that, have you? Let's just have a word of prayer. Just bow your... No? Oh yeah, plenty. 
I know I pastor you people. I talk to you in counseling sessions. I know. You've got to have the sword of the spirit. Sword drills is what they used to do in Youth for Christ. How quick can you get the verse? Have you memorized any of the Bible? Do you know any of it? In the evil day, you'll have to call on every verse you know. You'll have to guard your mind with it. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that he has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. And as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855-833-9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Music.